Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. Welcome back to Learning Made Easier. This is episode 110, how to maintain academic relationships with classmates and peers you meet on campus. In school, there's something called the hidden curriculum. Uh, the open curriculum, the one you're aware of, is the material you get in your classes and the skills you develop. The hidden curriculum is making connections among your classmates, your professors, and if your time and energy allow it, people from school clubs or from jobs. But meeting people is only one part of the equation for success. How do you maintain solid relationships with classmates, peers, and your professors? Now this has become even more important because of the recent pandemic. Many of us are still not on campus. Many of us are still Zooming in from home, whether to teach or to learn, but the networks were still forming. Even in these more restrictive situations, they're absolutely key to life. Networks help us land jobs, they can tell us where to get help, and again, this is increasingly important in the era of COVID and getting vaccinated. A researcher, Mark Granovetter, wrote about the strength of weak ties and how most of the really important connections we make are found not through knowing someone's brother, but through knowing someone's roommate whose brother-in-law's neighbor's boss needs someone with your qualifications. And knowing people helps. Going to college puts you in a lot of contact with other people that you would otherwise just not meet or know, your professors and your classmates, and for those of us who teach, our colleagues. But building and maintaining a network means effort, both in class and out of class. It isn't something you can just sort of, oh, I'm in a network, and leave it at that. If you value your professors and your peers, you've got to show it through your actions. You've got to show it through your effort. And that's far more memorable than any exam you'll ever take. I remember the student who has their hand up with interesting questions every week far more than the perfect test when I'm grading 150 tests. You might want to help your peers. That's a good way to get to know people and a good way to form bonds. Read your classmates' papers for constructive feedback. Help them with brainstorming. Sometimes going through the stresses of a semester, going through a packed schedule, sharing that bad experience can help you forge some really strong friendships. You can vent about your professors, you can vent about tests, assignments. As long as you're still getting stuff done and you're supporting each other, there's absolutely no harm in venting. In fact, it can bring a lot of good. Create study groups. Use your study groups as a way to work through classes and as support networks. Be supportive. Be participatory and engaged audiences. When someone says, I'm having a rough day, ask them what you can do to help. Ask them if memes would help. Sometimes we just need a laugh. Sometimes we need an ear to listen to. And if you work on group projects, make sure that you contribute to the group's effort because the effort you show or don't show is gonna be remembered a lot if you wanna form friendships. No one wants to work or be friends with a free rider. In terms of keeping in touch with your professors, if you're able to, 
Take a few courses from professors that you work well with or that you get along with well. Having more face time through classes, even if those classes are happening through Zoom, that helps professors know you, even if we can't remember which specific classes you've taken with us. That familiarity goes a really long way. Make a point of going to office hours. Make a point of getting in touch with your professor, even if it's just to shoot the breeze. You know, if you're just coming in to talk about random stuff, Getting to know your professor will help you later in life because then you can call on them for things like, you know, a letter of recommendation. If they've met with you three or four times during the semester, they'll know you a lot better than some random Joe that all they know is their name from grading and they've never met them in person. After classes are over, keep in touch through email. And look, sometimes it takes a while for people to respond to email, but by keeping in touch, you're sending a message that you value your professor's time, insight, advice or help. If you're thinking of asking that professor for a letter of recommendation, let that professor know about it and why you're interested in the letter. What programs are you looking at? Why are you interested in your field of study and not something else? Why those schools? Because the more we know as professors and as letter writers, the better we can help and the better we know you as students. And that's forged not only through grades, but through these uh, through this contact, through these networks, the more we can help because we can write a more complete story about you. And we've actually talked about this in our episode 84 about getting ready for graduate school. We've talked about how, you know, you need to provide your professor with information on here's where I want to go and here's what I want to do and why and you know, here's what I've done and here's a packet of everything I've done in your class so that you'll remember who I am. It really helps to keep in touch with a professor. If you've taken a class with them, say, in your second year, and then you don't graduate till your fifth year, and they haven't seen you in three years, it might be kind of hard to get back in touch. So just, you know, drop them an email every now and then. Hey, Dr. Smith, how are you doing? I was thinking of you the other day when I was working on this paper I'm finishing for my geology class. It made me think of that time in our class when, and that's really important to keep in touch with your professors. I know with my dissertation chair, I made a point of dropping in, you know, dropping an email every now and then you know, every few months just to see how he was doing. And I kind of got out of the habit of that recently. I should probably get back to that. I'm now feeling ashamed. And I know when Denora and I and our friend Stacy got some chapters published last year, I dropped him an email and he emailed back and said, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. I'm really proud of you because Denora had gone to grad school with me at the same time. And so he'd worked with Denora too. He knew us both. So another thing is that when you graduate, your professors often turn into your friends. And I don't call my dissertation chair Dr. So-and-so anymore. He's just Bob. He's my friend and colleague. And that's another way, especially if you're going to be working in academia, that you can make connections. So I know if you have a business professor, they've probably got contacts in the business world. Okay, I've never known a business professor that didn't have at least a toe still in the business world. And if you get in good with a business professor and you want to be an accountant, they'll probably know about jobs. And you can say to them, hey, I'm wondering, have you heard anything about accounting jobs in the Delaware area? That's where I'm that's where I'm hoping to live. And they'll probably reach out to their network and say, Hey, I've got this bright young accounting graduate. Anybody in the Delaware area, you know, got a job for him? Now, in terms of keeping in touch with other students, you know, try to see if you can sign up for classes with people you like or form study groups. If you like the people in your group, you can exchange emails and text numbers and other contact information. And when you work on group projects with others, you know, be aware of the message that you're sending with the effort that you're putting in and the way you're acting. Are you consistently and thoughtfully contributing 
Are you a nice person? If you are, th that's probably going to help you keep in touch as opposed to someone who, say, you know, who free rides. You know, don't be the person who mooches credit off someone else's efforts. <laughs> don't be that guy. When you're off campus, finding ways to keep in touch can feel impossible sometimes. How do you actually stay in touch when you're not in class during the school year or during breaks? And we did some research on this, and Denor and I found four main ways you can keep in touch. You can set up virtual real-time meetings. You can set up non-real-time but asynchronous chats and discussions. You can use social media. And you can even get together in person, sometimes. So Denor and I have a list here, and we're going to riff on our experiences and our students' experiences with this stuff. So the first thing is, when it comes to virtual real-time meetings, Zoom has become the standard. Zoom is turning into a verb. Have you noticed that? It's like when Xerox started to mean photocopy, you stopped saying, I'm going to photocopy this, and now you just say, I'm going to Xerox this. Or Kleenex meant the same thing as tissue. People stopped saying, give me a tissue, and just started saying, hand me a Kleenex. The brand becomes the important word. It becomes the thing. And that's happening as Zoom has really increased its market share over the past year and a little bit because of the pandemic, mainly. So, you know, when you're getting together with someone these days, you'll say, hey, you want to Zoom tonight? So Zoom has become a verb. The brand name has become a verb. So even though, you know, there are many video chat programs, I mean, Microsoft Teams and Skype come to mind, Zoom is the standard. So you could set up a regular Zoom hangout meeting right after class, like maybe right after class, you know, hey, let's get together and talk about the lesson. Or you could set up a time every week where a group of people from your class get together so you can talk over what happened in class. When the pandemic hit, my husband and I joined a table reading group. It was reading Shakespeare's plays. And it started out as just, hey, you know, it would be fun to let's read a couple of Shakespeare plays. Why not? And then all of a sudden we started having a performance every few weeks. And now it's really grown because we now have a social hangout in the middle of the week every week and an open mic on non-performance weekends. And it's become really a fun social thing. But it started out with a friend of ours saying, hey, you guys want to read Midsummer Night's Dream? And since then, it's become one of our most important social groups during the pandemic. And for me, I'm in a few Zoom chats with friends around the United States, and we are connected because we're big hockey fans. And we'll set up meetings maybe every other week, and we'll just use it as a chance to vent, to hang out. Some people play music, so uh, we've had some music nights where we'll start creating playlists and we'll just chat and listen to music. And it's a way for us to get to spend time and catch up with one another and see how we're doing and keep tabs on one another. Another kind of virtual real-time meeting you can set up is study groups. They can meet up through Zoom or, or some other video chat. And teachers, this is really something you really should suggest to your students early in the semester. And I actually make it something they can get credit for now. You know, sign up for a study group, submit a report every time you do a study group, and let me know who did what and who was there, and then everybody gets credit for it. But the other thing that's really nice is I've had students who have made long-term, long-time friends through study groups, even before they were doing it virtually. You know, you get together, you talk about the class, you talk about the teacher, you blow off steam, but you also now understand three concepts you didn't understand before because John or Janie explained them to you. And study groups are just, they're a great way to socialize and also get the work done. You can have watch parties. Netflix, Hulu, YouTube all offer these options where a few friends can watch the same movie or show at the same time. And so it's 
I mean, a movie is an activity that you can do with other people. You can be social without having to talk. And if you're able to share that movie in about the same time, give or take internet lag, why not do it? I've heard of people who have had watch parties specifically to make fun of a movie, like in a chat program. They'll get together in the Discord chat, and they'll all turn on Netflix on their TVs at home, and they'll watch it and be cattily commenting in the Discord chat, watch out, there's going to be a car blowing up here for no reason. Oh, look, there oh, it the is. Mystery Science Theater 3000 treatment. Exactly, the MST3K treatment. But there have also been people who have done like watch parties because they want to understand this movie, and they have a discussion in the chat. And unlike a watch party where you're there physically... You can have that discussion in chat and not bother anybody. You won't disturb the movie because people can participate or not in the chat while you're doing the watch party. So that's another way to do it. And you can always mute the computer or the chat program so that whenever new messages pop up or when you send messages, they're not going to emit a sound that's going to block out part of the movie. Exactly. You can also join book clubs or have movie discussions on Zoom. Choose a book to read together. Talk about it. Uh, this past semester, I was in a faculty book club. I'd like to give a shout out to the Cal State University at LA uh, faculty book club, where we focused on a book that teaches us how to effectively teach and learn. And so that's kind of the open curriculum. That's what we were there to learn. But it was also a way for us to grow a sense of community around campus. For me, it was a way of meeting new people because it wasn't just people from my department that were there. Uh, at least in the meetings I was there, I was the only one from my department, but I got to meet people from history. I got to meet people from art. I got to meet people from biology and from uh, finance and from business. So I got to meet a lot of faculty that are just as driven to teach and to help students as I am. And I wouldn't have gotten to meet them if it wasn't for this book group. That cross-disciplinary thing is so much more important than I think we realize, you know, when it comes to uh, professors. Now, the thing is, we're talking about stuff that both professors and students can do. And if it's something that's specific to students, like a study group will point it out. But these kinds of things, too, for professors, it's so vital to get that cross-germination between disciplines. And instead of just, you know, you're only a sociologist and all you do is talk to other sociologists and, and that's fine, but new ideas come from outside. I think some of my best ideas that I ever had for research came when I was in the honors program in undergrad, because then I was not just talking to sociology students. I was talking as a student to biologists and that gave me some ideas for a particular theory I was working on. I was talking to chemists. I was talking to computer science people. I was talking, as Denor said, to business people. And then I got to be in a course redesign program through the Cal State system in uh, 2017, and that brought people in together from all over the Cal State system. And again, here I am talking to someone in the math department at you know CSU Channel Islands about their research and getting ideas for my own research. That is so crucial, and we do not do it enough. And so having book clubs or movie discussions where you can pull people in from other departments or students, if you can pull people in from other majors. It's really interesting when you're talking about, say, the godfather to someone who is a business major, and you are not. And they're like, well, I have ideas about what happened in that movie because of my view on it due to the fact that I'm a business major. And I can understand why they felt that killing someone was not good business. And if you are a humanities major, it'll give you a different, uh, you know, a different take on things. And those different takes are so important for learning, but they're also important for connection. Because now you'll remember that Herbie, that dude from business, 
has some really fun ideas about anything that relates to business and you might go pick his brain two years from now when you're doing a research paper for the one business class you have to take as general ed. You might want to take a virtual walk and talk, get together with a friend on FaceTime or on the phone, walk around your neighborhoods together because yeah, on the one hand, you're not physically there in person with your friend, but you're sharing that walking experience. So if both of you are dog people and you're taking the dogs out to do their business or to get their walk, you're going to share that along with all the yelling at the dog to make sure it's peeing in appropriate places. <laughs> you're going to share the same time. And so it's a way to connect over kind of that, uh, that experience and over that time, even if you're not sharing the same physical space. And you can also students join clubs on campus and go to their zoom meetings hang out meet people you know that's one of the things that clubs are for and by club we don't just mean you know the chess club or uh, the dance club also you know you've got sororities and fraternities you can talk to people in those groups you've got people who are part of student government your student government is going to be holding zoom meetings you know see what you can find out that you might not have normally experienced had you just been walking around campus so those are all real-time meetings held through virtual means, mainly Zoom, sometimes FaceTime. But another thing that you can do is set up non-real-time chats and discussions. So these are asynchronous. These are like you leave a message, you go out and do something, you come back and there's a message responding. And the first thing is use discussion boards, either in your classes or on other media to stay in touch, ask questions, keep up on what's going on, so forth. You know, I hear that Slack and Discord are really good for this. So is Facebook. You can create a Facebook group and say, hey, everybody, come join Dr. Denor's Facebook group, you know, and, and we'll, we'll all be there and we can talk about it. Yeah, I use uh, Slack and Discord for a few projects outside of school. I use Discord with one of the hockey sites, or we were using Discord. I think we've moved to Facebook chat for one of the websites I photographed for. And for the fantasy football podcast I'm on, we are on a Slack channel. And the nice part is, is with both Slack and with Discord, you can have a general group chat or you can private message people within the chat. You can create smaller groups if you need to. So depending on how big the overall chat is, you might say, hey, I'm going to split the group up into smaller pieces. If not, you can still private message a person on all these um, platforms, even if you're in a group chat with others. Obviously, I need to get on Slack and Discord. I'm going to ask you to walk me through it at some point soon, Denorcus. This is one of the places where I know that it would help my students, too, to have that place to reach out to me. And I can say, you know, here are six different possible places where you might be having trouble. Post there. And then the other advantage of that kind of thing, too, is that if you are a teacher running a Slack channel, and you've got a channel for, let's say, the writing projects, the quizzes, the, um, you know, the, the learning component, you know, the, whatever parts of your class you have, they can post in a specific place and maybe another student will respond and say, okay, I know the answer to that, you know, and that creates more connection too. Um, those student clubs, they probably also have chat rooms or social media presence. So go find that, you know, if you're part of a student club, they've probably got a Facebook page. They've probably got a discord channel. They probably got a Slack channel. Go find those things, interact with people. Ask your professor to set up an informal discussion uh, board or discussion group under classes uh, learning management system. And for teachers, this is something that you should provide for your students pretty early in the term. Encourage them to use it. I always set up on Canvas channels for all of my classes now that say this is a chance for you all to communicate with one another. I don't read this. I expect you all to be mature, but 
whatever you say, I'm not reading because you need that ability to be able to chat with one another the way we would if we were in person. And then, you know, you can also start an email or chat or text chain with friends and update it regularly with funny stories and memes and links. For example, the, the table reading group that I talked about, we have two different chat groups that formed after different performances. And now one of them has set up a Spotify playlist. And so everybody is contributing songs, you know, like every every few days somebody says, hey, I contributed this song to the playlist and here's why. And then they talk about that song and what it means to them. Hey, that creates deeper connection, right? And the other group is is like meme central. <laughs> like we just if you find a funny meme, you post it to the group and sometimes people go, oh, God, really? Dad joke. And sometimes people laugh. You know, that's another thing that's really important in this connection is finding ways to laugh, finding ways to blow off some steam, to have a good time, to remember that, you know, just because we can't be together doesn't mean we have to be apart. And so, you know, starting an email or chat or text chain with a couple friends and, you know, updating it with funny stuff, that can be a good way to connect with people. Now, if you're like me and you get overwhelmed by these chains really, really quickly because they keep getting updated every couple seconds, it feels like, put limits, set boundaries, say, I'm going to check the text chain once a week. I'm going to check it every couple of days. I'll check it if someone tags me so that I know to respond to them. Because for me, at least, it can be overwhelming at times. And so I have to say, I'll set aside a little time to check whether that's I'll check this uh, thread for, say, 15 minutes or whether I'll check it on Saturday. I'm going to give myself some time to catch up. But I also don't feel the need to uh, need to lurk constantly or to respond constantly. I feel overwhelmed. Whereas for me, I wake up every morning and three of my chats are always, you know, new things, new people. And I like checking that because it makes me feel connected. It's like, okay, there's something new in the Danger Squad chat. There's something new in the Fortune and Glory chat. You know, there's something new in these two chats that I have with these two people that I care about very much. That's kind of neat to see that and to stay connected. But it's up to you. All right, it's totally up to you how many chats you want to be in. You can always leave a group chat if it just becomes too overwhelming. You know, so it's funny because you can mute it for a while. You can ignore it for a while. You know, there are a bunch of different ways to do that. Now, when it comes to social media, one easy way to, to stay connected is to follow each other on social media. You know, many social media accounts or, or um Programs also allow you to categorize, like, where do I know this person from? Like, you can have a group that says, friends from college, or friends from Dr. Sanford's Social 102 class, or friends from uh, senior year of college, right? So you've got, you can categorize them. So maybe, you know, two years later when you're going, who the hell is this? Oh, that's right. They were in 102 with me. And following each other on social media is just sort of a, a no-brainer, you know, Give each other your Instagram account number or your Instagram account name and your Facebook name and your Twitter handle, you know, and just have people follow you on social media. Follow your school's social media accounts. They're going to give you updates on whatever events are going on at the school. It's a way to see, here's something that's going on. What can I do? And it's a way to potentially be connected. And then also you can set up your own page or group on social media where you can all hang out and follow and so forth. So social media is really flexible that way. I know that I've got two or three different Facebook groups from grad school that I'm still part of, people that I went to graduate school with. And I'm like, you know, they were, 
either ahead of me in the program or behind me in the program or occasionally in my own cohort. Denor and I are friends because of grad school. That's where we met. And we still stay connected through social media to like 25 other people that both of us went to grad school with. It's like, oh, did you see what Shun posted? Yeah. <laughs> did you see what Matt Rosandi posted? Yeah. You know, it's just, you know, because we know these people. That's our connections. You can also meet up in person. Uh, right now, things are at least in some states, getting a little bit better. So have socially distanced hangouts with people. Wear a mask, get together, stay outside outdoors. Have a group on social media, keep in touch with each other and do stuff. Go on pikes, go on small walks, go traveling somewhere uh, but and stay outdoors, stay masked, but enjoy one another's company. There's a, a couple that my husband and I watch on YouTube called Trent and Alley, and they um, they were van people. They were van life people until the pandemic hit. And recently they and, and basically they make their living on YouTube. And so they're sharing their life with everybody on YouTube right now. They're building a house in the Wasatch Mountains, which is up uh, outside of Salt Lake. And so they've been walking us through since last June when they trenched the house. And they finally got to the point where they can start putting on drywall. That's where they are, and everybody's cheering for them. But last week, one of their shared videos had nothing to do with the house they were building. They're like, we are going to take our new dog who needs more socialization and our previous dog, you know, the, the older dog who doesn't need as much socialization. And you're going to see the older dog act like the puppy because we're getting together with some friends at a park in Salt Lake so that the dogs can just have the run of the park and see other dogs and we can see our friends. They were all sitting socially distanced from each other, even all of the, even though all of them had been vaccinated, but they had a picnic and they were outdoors. So the risk of transmission was minimal. They wore masks most of the time and they got to watch the dogs run around and play and have a great time. You can still do that. You can do that with your friends. You can get together, get together on campus, on the campus green, and just have a picnic in the middle of the campus green. You can do that. Get together at a local park. You can do that. Just try not to get together right now because of the pandemic, you know, within, you know, say a restaurant where it's going to be more dangerous to be there. And doing all these things may mean being a little better about a schedule. I mean, it is possible to do impromptu after-class Zoom hangouts, right? Somebody can say, hey, I'm opening a Zoom room after class so we can talk about this lesson. You know, anybody want to join me? Here's the, the room link. But having the comfort of knowing that you'll be hanging out with people on a given day at a given time every week, that can also give you some stability. Like, I really look forward to my table reading groups meetings every Wednesday. It's just one of the things that I love to do. It's like, yay. At 5.30, I get to go into a room with a bunch of people who are silly in the same way I'm silly, who find the same things interesting that I do, and we can just talk up a storm for a few hours. And so having that where you can depend on it, that can be important. So teachers, we've talked a lot about what students can do, but a lot of these things also work for teachers and for professors. So remember, you still have networks. So you have them before the pandemic, reach out to those networks. Before the pandemic, you talked to people, you presented your research, maybe you learned or collaborated on teaching techniques at workshops or you went to conferences. So use those networks. Those are your people to keep in touch with. Work with groups that are on campus, work with groups that are off campus. Create chats with your colleagues and your co-authors. Denor and I, when we were just starting through the pandemic, I created a chat that was, a, that was around for a while called Academics Fetch because so many of us were so stressed out about all the changes we had to make. And so we just opened it to our friends who were professors and said, hey, we're going to meet on this day of the week at this time. Here's the Zoom room number. Come on in and you can fetch and groan and moan and, you know, to your heart's content. And then that morphed after a little while to our friend Stacy saying to us, hey, there's this call for chapters. And then Denora and Stacy and I were meeting every single week 
because suddenly there was a goal to work on beyond taking care of our classes and we're like we could get this done and we did we wrote three chapters for a new book that came out last december about the sociology of covid you can do that too your research hasn't stopped just because you're not on campus you know and you could continue to stay connected there's all these different ways to do it go to conferences and workshops whether these are online and virtual or whether they're in person get to know people who care whether it's they care professionally they care personally or both they care about the same topics that you're interested in and i mentioned the book club i was in on campus it was all faculty from cal state los angeles we we're all reading the book make it stick and that's designed to help us be better teachers learning new teaching techniques and i was doing it because i want to see maybe there's some new stuff in there that i can bring to this podcast and maybe there's some stuff from the podcast that i can offer to this group and get to know these people mm -hmm. and when we did those chapters that i talked about our editor has really been like seriously proactive in making sure that we've gotten times and, and places to present our work like he had us come and talk to one of his classes well that was an international presentation because he's in kazakhstan and then he held another conference what just last month right and granted juggling the time zones was a little difficult i'm sitting there going it's you know it's like four o'clock in the afternoon in london and i'm going it's way too early out here in california but here i am presenting the stuff on our chapter and you know denor and stacy and i were all presenters at this incredible conference that he put together and so you know and through those two meetings, we met people that we would not have otherwise met, people who are writing about stuff that we find really interesting. One of them was a criminologist who was writing about, you know, how police behave and how they're how they're trained. And Denor and I are both criminologists. So we're like, hey, we need to talk to this woman. We need to we need to connect with her. And now we've got that information where we can. Shout outs to Dr. Michael Ryan and Dr. Jody Dewey for those, uh, respectively. Um, as far as networks that I've developed from conferences in person. I remember the first conference I attended when I went to UC Riverside was a Pacific Social Association conference down in San Diego. And I was presenting on my fan behavior idea uh, for my master's thesis. And one of the uh, people on the same panel I was with was actually someone we're hoping to interview in a future episode, Dr. Vic Gambier. And he had brought a few of his undergrads who had worked with him on research and he was presenting and he and I hit it off uh, really well. He and I are both big sports fans, which really helps. It helped us bond. It helped us connect. We love food. So we, uh, whenever we go to a conference and we're at, uh, at the same place, we make a point of seeing each other and grabbing a bite to eat because I know he's going to find a good place for us. But using these conferences as ways to meet people just because they're in the same area or have a different title doesn't mean you can't have the same hobbies, the same passions outside of it. I lucked out in the sense that Vic and I are interested in some of the same areas. I know he teaches a lot on policing. Uh, I'd also like to give uh, him a shout out here. He's earned a teaching award from both the Pacific Social Association and from Gonzaga University. He's someone uh, I personally look up to a lot. He's a role model for me, but I wouldn't have known him if I hadn't gone to that conference and we wouldn't have kept in touch and gotten to know each other and support each other if we hadn't gotten together on Facebook and just messaged each other about things that we either thought were curious or we thought were funny from the sports world. Mm -hmm. And for me, you know, when I've met people at conferences, 
sometimes that's the only time I've met them, but we keep in touch through email, right? We may not ever meet up at a conference again. Like I went to a conference in Denver once and it's like, like I'll never get to Denver again in my lifetime. But there are still people from that conference that I have occasional email back and forth with. And sometimes you've had an email conversation with someone and you want to meet them. So then you use a conference as a reason to meet them. So all of those things are ways to stay in touch, to stay connected. And, you know, frankly, we have so many possible ways to stay connected that there's just no excuse not to. Even us introverts can connect with other people from behind a screen. So that's what we have for you in episode 110. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help even more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 111, 111, when we'll talk about how to get students to participate in online discussion. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learning made easier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.